Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, May 17th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Uh, Jill, I understand you did your civic duty on Tuesday. (laughs) I did. And I actually brought my daughter um, because we had school board elections here, at least in my area, actually across all of Long Island. Look at you get involved in local elections. The truth. The percent of people who must vote in those things are not high. (laughs) (laughs) The truth is, having covered local elections and local news for so many years, while we pay so much attention to the presidential election, and granted, the past few have had big implications for people's lives, it's really the local, your local politicians on your school board who represent you in the state legislature or or in your village or town that probably have the biggest impact on your life. Jill, that is so true. And you've probably seen it in recent years, and we've been covering it. We've been seeing the impact of parents and school boards getting more and more involved. I mean, obviously, there's stories like book bans, etc. But there seems to be more and more engagement at that level. So it's great to hear that uh, you are uh, making your voice heard out there on Long Island, Jill. And I took my daughter. I was trying to be this positive example for her. She really, Mm -hmm. when I say went kicking and screaming, that's literal, like kicking and screaming. Did the, sticker, did the sticker help? Did she get an I voted sticker? Did that make her happy? The only thing that helped was that the candidates were both positioned outside of, of the voting place and everyone was giving mm. out candy. So she mm. made off like a bandit. She got donuts and candy and she, she wound up having a great time. So election day in Long Island is similar to <laughs> Halloween, it appears. Yes. She's like, what else do they have? I'm like, you know, that's not what this is about, but okay. Trick or treat. <laughs> I want to be your school board. Um, the big election we're waiting for, though, in your district, Jill, is George Santos, <laughs> yes. your indicted congressman, which incidentally, we didn't get to talk about while I was away. Uh, the fact that, you know, uh, that was one of the stories I missed last week was him being arrested. It wasn't even the arrest. It was that press conference after that was <laughs> so newsworthy. And it was just it was pretty wild right right george george plans to run for re-election jill he he's looking for your vote next year as we mentioned on the instagram account to have that kind of confidence (laughs) i don't get it completely out of touch (laughs) out of touch with reality completely uh, these George Santos is probably one of the few stories where uh, we're happy to opine. <laughs> um, and I think we're pretty safe doing it. I would say so, Jill. All right, let's get to today's headlines. The man behind chat GPT tells lawmakers that they need to regulate artificial intelligence. But will they? We're going to have an update from the White House meeting between the president and congressional leaders to avert a U.S. debt default. Overseas, Russia launched a rocket attack on Kyiv, but Ukraine says that it was able to shoot most of the rockets down. A record heat wave hits the Pacific Northwest early in the season. Why a record share of Americans think it is a bad time to buy a house. Jill, I saw those poll numbers. Does that mean I can finally get a deal? No. <laughs> I don't no. think so. No, people just, <laughs> everyone's just trying to freeze each other out of the market by saying, no, this is a terrible time to buy a house, everybody. A warning from the World Health Organization about sugar substitutes. And Americans are suffering from a case of tipping fatigue. I love this topic. Stay tuned for the end of the speed read, everybody. Um, And on this day in history. On this May 17th, Jill, a little bit of Supreme Court history. And you remember Lisa Loeb from the early 90s. Of course. You say. (laughs) Anyway, we will. uh, Wow, that was really out of tune. Anyway, we'll have more (laughs) on that. On the history of that song and Reality Bites. 
All right, let's start with a hearing on Capitol Hill Tuesday about something that we have been talking a lot about here on the podcast, artificial intelligence, specifically chat GPT. A lot of lawmakers admit that they really missed the boat when it came to regulating social media early on, more than a decade ago, before the genie was fully out of the bottle. And it's a mistake that they don't want to make when it comes to AI. Dick Durbin, who's the senator from Illinois, a Democrat, he said when it came to online platforms, the inclination of the government was to get out of the way. I'm not sure I'm happy with the outcome as I look at online platforms and the harms they've created, and I don't want to make that mistake again. So on Tuesday, Sam Altman, who is the CEO of OpenAI, a.k.a. the man behind ChatGPT, he appeared before the Senate Judiciary Committee to answer questions about the technology. And one of the big headlines is that Altman actually urged lawmakers to regulate artificial intelligence. He says the technology could be a, quote, printing press moment, but that it really does need safeguards. Take a listen to some of his testimony. My worst fears are that we cause significant, we, the field, the technology, the industry, cause significant harm to the world. Uh, I think that could happen in a lot of different ways. It's why we started the company. Um, It's a big part of why I'm here today uh, and why we've been here in the past and we've been able to spend some time with you. I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. uh, And we want to be vocal about that. We want to work with the government to prevent that from happening. But we we try to be very clear-eyed about what the downside case is and the work that we have to do to mitigate that. So what are the concerns here? Well, chat, GPT, and similar tools can produce human-like text and writing, like term papers, which we've talked about, scripts, blog posts, podcast scripts, maybe, uh, computer code, videos, music, pictures. They do this all based on those written prompts. At Tuesday's hearing, a lot of lawmakers said that they were very worried about what this could mean, not only for jobs, but also for elections and the spread of misinformation. And case in point, Senator Richard Blumenthal, he is the Democrat from Connecticut. He actually started the hearing with an opening statement that was written and created by ChatGPT. We're going to play part of it. So part of this is Blumenthal himself. And then the other part is an AI generated voice. Take a listen. Now... Uh, for some introductory remarks. Too often, we have seen what happens when technology outpaces regulation. The unbridled exploitation of personal data, the proliferation of disinformation, and the deepening of societal inequalities. We have seen how algorithmic biases can perpetuate discrimination and prejudice and how the lack of transparency can undermine public trust. This is not the future we want. If you were listening from home, you might have thought that voice was mine and the words from me. But in fact, that voice was not mine. The words were not mine. And the audio was an AI voice cloning software trained on my floor speeches. The remarks were written by chat GBT when it was asked how I would open this hearing. So you could see there, it pretty much sounds exactly the same. And you can just use your imagination here in the wrong hands. This can be used to create a host of problems. Blumenthal said, for example, you know, what if it had provided an endorsement of Ukraine surrendering or Vladimir Putin's leadership 
He said the prospect is more than a little scary. Yeah, I mean, AI and ChatGPT in particular, which Sam Altman runs, they're already on GPT-4, the fourth generation of this, in just a matter of months. uh, And they're already cloning voices, right? If your, our voices, Jill, are publicly available. So effectively, someone could use AI, I'm not recommending any of you do this at home, and have (laughs) me and Jill say crazy things. People are like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. We're like, well, we didn't somebody use artificial intelligence to say that. So you can see the implications here. I mean, I come from a world where I worked in research and journalism and, and interviewing politicians, where I was like, look, you know, let's listen to what you said 10 years ago. You know, they caught you audio of you saying X, Y, Z. Well, that was never questioned before, right? You're like, oh, I, I, gotta, I gotta stand by that, or I gotta dismiss that, or I gotta apologize for that. Well, now they can just say, nope, fake, AI, fake, never said it, fake. And that's just one of the many, many implications. So that's one of the reasons they had this hearing uh, yesterday. Fascinating to watch. It was just several hours. Uh, and it's one of the big issues is how is Washington going to deal with this? And this comes as ChatGPT has really taken the world by storm. We talk about it all the time. And the numbers have just been crazy. ChatGPT hit 1 million users in just the first five days of its launch last year. Just to put that in perspective, Instagram took several months to reach a million downloads. Netflix took three and a half years to reach a million users. Again, ChatGPT did it in just five days. So ChatGPT, which is run by this company, OpenAI, which has a partnership with Microsoft, uh, is one of the main players here. The other one is Google. So you effectively have Google versus Microsoft, both in a race right now to see how fast they can develop artificial intelligence and really dominate the market. What was interesting, Jill, about watching the hearing on Tuesday is that in contrast to the recent TikTok hearing that we covered with the TikTok CEO who was really grilled, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's appearances, Mark Zuckerberg of Meta, Facebook, of course, where they would get like a tongue lashing from Republicans and Democrats, lawmakers from both parties gave Altman of ChatGPT a pretty warm reception. On Tuesday, they appeared to be in listening mode. They expressed a broad willingness to consider regulatory proposals from Altman himself, as you mentioned. Sam Altman of ChatGPT is saying, guys, please regulate us. And here's some rules we would like you uh, to pass in regards to my own industry. You had one senator, John Kennedy of Louisiana. He's known for uh, a soundbite or two. Uh, He actually suggested to Altman, hey, do you want to run this new regulatory agency that you're proposing? And (laughs) Altman says, no, no, I'm really happy with my day job. But just to give you a sense, folks, of how friendly things were, despite the concerns about AI. So Altman, again, proposed regulations that the government should impose on the AI industry. It was effectively a three-point plan. First one, form a new government agency that is charged with licensing large AI models, empower it to revoke that license if companies uh, use models that don't comply with government standards. That, of course, is the agency that Kennedy was like, hey, Altman, you want to run it? Second part of the proposal, create a set of safety standards for AI models, including evaluations of their dangerous capabilities. For instance, models would have to pass certain tests for safety, such as whether they could self-replicate or what he calls expillerate into the wild, or the short term for that, Jill, is go rogue. And so he is proposing the government uh, create rules that uh, will prevent companies from creating AI that could go rogue on its own. Uh, And then uh, the third part of his plan is to require independent audits, independent experts of the AI models. 
Now, Altman didn't propose everything. There are rules that some are calling for on artificial intelligence, including, and this is key, transparency into the training data. This is the data that companies use to train the artificial intelligence. He is not calling for that. That is something other experts are calling for. It's something that actually the Europeans want to mandate. What are you feeding these machines? How are you teaching them what they're learning? Uh, that level of transparency is something the Europeans and some here in the U.S. would like. There are also questions about prohibiting AI from being trained on artist copyrighted works. Keep in mind here, you could have AI replicate the voice of Taylor Swift or Justin Bieber or, you know, name your musician here. And so that's something that uh, especially those artists uh, are very concerned about is how will AI impact uh, their uh, ability to make a living and be paid for their work. I mentioned Europe, by the way, because Europe is far ahead of the game here when it comes to regulating AI. Uh, they're not really at the cutting edge of developing it. That's the US and China. US and China are the ones really developing technology. It's the Europeans who have a history of coming up with rules that, it were, that are eventually adopted globally. But one other concern that came up yesterday, Jill, and I'll end with this, Cory Booker, Senator from New Jersey, uh, brought up his biggest concern is that you have Microsoft and Google at the cutting edge here. So you basically have huge trillion dollar tech companies that will get even bigger with some of the most important technology for the years and decades ahead. So Booker expressed that concern. Altman was asked about it. Uh, again, Altman from ChatGPT. And he spun it the other way saying, actually, the fewer of us that are here developing this technology, the fewer that you have to keep an eye on. <laughs> if it was more independent and technology proliferated. So that was Altman's spin on that. I also wanted to mention Christina Montgomery, who is IBM's chief privacy officer. She also testified. She kind of warned against the Silicon Valley culture of move fast and break things, which we used to hear all the time. That was the mantra of Mark Zuckerberg. Exactly. She said, quote, the era of AI cannot be another era of move fast and break things. But she also said we don't necessarily need to slam the brakes on innovation. I mean, Jill, there are a lot of lessons to be learned from that whole tech era. And you mentioned the Dick Durbin quote earlier, where he said, you know, we tried to get out of the way for tech to develop. It's, got, it's an international competition. And we found out that there are some downsides to that, right? And the whole move fast and break things, well, we sort of broke elections. We broke trust in systems. We broke information, misinformation. Mental I mean, health. We broke everything. Broke. Everything is broken. Oh, mental health, <laughs> children. I mean, when you look at the impact of social media, and that is where, you know, we, we have an opportunity here with a sort of next phase of technology to uh, think about things differently. How do we um, replicate the success of the last 25 years? Because you can't argue against the domination of American tech globally, right? The Googles, the Facebooks, the Microsofts, uh, et cetera. Globally, at the same time, things got broke. And how do we break less things this time around? All right, staying in Washington, the countdown to the potential debt default is on. Top congressional leaders actually expressed some optimism about these urgent negotiations over the debt ceiling after a meeting at the White House Tuesday. It comes as some on the left worry that Biden's negotiations with House Republicans over the budget risks rewarding the GOP's hardline stance. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he sounded pretty confident that an agreement could be reached ahead of a June 1st deadline to raise the nation's borrowing limit or risk a global economic catastrophe. 
aides to McCarthy and Biden will be negotiating directly, cutting down the number of parties involved in the talks as the deadline nears. The White House said that staff would continue meeting every day, adding that Biden will check in with leaders by phone during his trip to Asia this week and then in person when he returns. The White House announced that President Biden is still going to be traveling to Asia today for this long-planned trip to the G7 summit, but will cut it short and return on Sunday, skipping planned stops in Papua New Guinea and Australia, where he was set to push back on Chinese domination of the region. But with that June 1st deadline for default fast approaching, his aides felt that he was really needed back here in the United States to continue negotiations. So we heard this confidence yesterday, but still cautious optimism. The two sides still far apart on a few different issues. The movement does follow, though, months in which the White House, President Biden, said they were not going to entertain any trade-offs. They said, raise the debt limit like you always have, do it clean, uh, no strings attached. And Republicans pushed back on that. And now they got their negotiation, which speaks to your point earlier um, Jill, that, you know, you have some Democrats on the left, the AOCs, the Bernie Sanders of the world being like, what the hell, Biden? Why did you give in to the Republicans here? But someone had to blink and it appeared it was the White House here partially blinking. So there is this conversation happening. And by the way, the White House was under a lot of pressure from the business community and from moderate Democratic voices saying, please talk to the Republicans. Uh, they are serious here. And so they are having this conversation Right now, it involves a few different things. Uh, The Republicans demanding certain spending cuts. The Republicans are also insistent on tougher work requirements for federal aid programs like food stamps. So they want to add in work requirements in order for people to be able to get their food stamps. Uh, Biden has been cautious on any uh, cuts that would uh, push Americans into poverty, but he is open to concessions when it comes to work requirements. Here, So it appears, again, they're on some common ground here, still far apart. And as we publish this today, Jill, it is May 17th. And again, the belief is that the U.S. government will not be able to pay its obligations June 1st. So just about 15 days to go here, everybody. I do think it is interesting that they basically want to cut out Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell and Hakeem Jeffries, that they're just like, this is really here a fight between McCarthy and Biden and the other voices are just distracting. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, both McConnell and Schumer basically said, like, we're let's not mess with the debt. Hakeem Jeffries leads the minority Democrats in the House. And anyone who works in the U.S. House will tell you there is no worse place to be in the minority than the U.S. House. At least in the Senate, you know, there's the filibuster. You can do some things in the minority. In the House, you have no power. And so that leaves uh, the only side that is willing to mess with the debt ceiling here, which is House Republicans who run the House. And Biden has to deal with that. So effectively, uh, you know, we're tabling everybody else. They're going to approve whatever because no one wants to deal with us going off uh, the debt cliff here. And uh, that's what it'll come down to uh, when Biden returns from Asia. It'll be Sunday, which means, Jill, we'll have just about 12 days before, again, we can't pay our bills. All right. We've got plenty of news coming up. But first, a word from some of our sponsors. Let's start with Bowl and Branch. We are so happy to be partnering again with a brand that helps you get an amazing night's sleep. Bowl and Branch. They have a great sale for Mo News listeners. These sheets are made with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash. 
Moshe, I could truly attest to that. They absolutely get softer every time you wash them. Um, these sheets have already been bought by millions of people. The company actually spends a lot of time focused on the supply chain. And it turns out that organic cotton is much better for the environment and also for the farmers in India where Bowl and Branch sources their materials. We discussed this on the Instagram account recently. Another interesting fact, we recently learned that four U.S. presidents have used Bowl and Branch sheets. Okay, but let's get to the deal here. Starting now, Mo News listeners will get 15% off site-wide. You can use our code MONEWS to get 15% off today at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is MONEWS. All right, Joe, let's talk about our other big sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. We've both been using their AG1 supplement since the fall. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Easy, quick. It lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten more than 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. We all know that getting all your vitamins, all your nutrition, the probiotics is challenging, and the AG1 powder lets you do it very simply every morning. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D, as well as five free travel packs to take with you on the go of AG1. You can visit right now athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of the offer and get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, it's athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, to access this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read. Let's head overseas and talk about what's happening in Ukraine. From CNN, Kiev breathing a sigh of relief after air defenses shoot down a barrage of Russian rockets. One after another, bright flashes pierced through Kiev's night skies early Tuesday morning as Russia launched an exceptional aerial assault against the Ukrainian capital. Most residents in the city would have had no way of knowing for sure that those sudden, terrifying, loud bangs were actually the Ukrainian air defense systems taking down Russian missiles instead of the rockets hitting their city. Ukrainian officials say most of the Russian munitions failed to hit their marks after being detected and destroyed by Ukraine's defense systems. The falling debris caused some limited damage on the ground. And while the Ukrainian military refused to comment on the type of weapons that it used on Tuesday, sources tell CNN that the forces have started to use long-range storm shadow missiles provided by the UK to strike Russian targets. For its part, the Russian Defense Ministry claimed that it did destroy a U.S.-made Patriot air defense system in Kyiv, despite the Ukrainians saying that all 18 Russian missiles launched at the country were intercepted and destroyed. Yeah, just a reminder here that we're more than 15 months into this war. Uh, the battle lines uh, you know, haven't shifted altogether that much. The Ukrainians still planning this big offensive this spring, which is now heading into summer, uh, Zelensky has said they're not quite ready yet. Uh, but this does show that they continue to maintain their ability to fight off some of the technology that the Russians say is the best they have to offer. Uh, these missiles the Russians have are called hypersonic missiles. They travel at five times the speed of sound. The Russians claim that they cannot be destroyed by any of the world's air defense systems. Well, if what uh, the Ukrainians claiming here is true, they can be. And that's an embarrassment to Vladimir Putin and the Russians, uh, who, uh, by the way, are running out of weaponry. They've been looking to the Iranians, the North Koreans, etc., to continue to supply them 
This all comes as the Ukrainian president Zelensky, you might have seen pictures of him in the last couple of days on a European tour, Germany, France, Italy, where he met the Pope, uh, the UK, pushing for further military aid. The Germans have committed a further $3 billion in military aid. The French have pledged more armored vehicles, light tanks. Uh, the UK says they will give them hundreds of long-range attack drones, among other weapons. And as this war continues day in, day out, they are depleting their resources of weapons. Uh, and so this just continues here, uh, Jill. And it'll be interesting. This comes against the backdrop that you continue to see here in the U.S., this pushback on Ukraine. Uh, you might have seen that town hall last week with former President Trump, who's running again, who's, you know, who wouldn't even say, like, uh, to the question, uh, do you want the Russians to win or the Ukrainians to win? He says he just wants people to stop fighting. Uh, and so that leads the Ukrainians to be concerned that that means he will cut them off because it's effectively the U.S. taking a step back. So that's something you've seen among some Republicans here and also some on the left who say that we should be focused on our own issues here. All right. From Money.com, Americans are feeling increasingly gloomy about the housing market. In a new Gallup survey, 78 percent of Americans said that they believed that it was a bad time to buy a house. That is the highest share since Gallup began tracking the question in 1978. This time last year, 69 percent of people said that. Just 21% of people surveyed said that it was a good time to buy. We're down to the brokers, Jill. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> compared to 30% last year and then 61% in 2019 when people were feeling pretty good uh, about the housing market. It is no wonder that so many people feel pessimistic, though. Uh, home prices skyrocketed during the pandemic and just have continued to climb. Over the past year, mortgage rates have soared as the Federal Reserve continues it's battle with stubborn inflation. And those rising rates have created a really tricky situation because you've got a lot of potential sellers that are reluctant to enter the market because they would be forced to give up their current low mortgage rate if they bought a new home, resulting in a serious dearth of inventory. Yeah, a lot of people got those really nice 2%, 3% uh, rates in the past few years. Uh, and now it's you know back above 6 7 uh, last time I looked at the 30-year mortgage rate. Uh, Jill, you talked about housing prices. I looked at the median sale price just over the last three years. Since 2020, the median sale price of a U.S. home has gone up a third, 32%. Wow. Um, so the, those prices are real, which reinforces why more Americans than ever now say it's a bad time to buy a house. As I was joking at the top of the podcast, though, is that stopping them, though? Uh, because uh, the market continues to remain hot in many parts of the country. The chief economist for the website Redfin called the Springs housing market hot but cold. They went on to say that scant listings have made it less active than usual, but it remains fast and competitive. So when there's a good house on the market, it is getting picked up very quickly. All right, so Redfin went with this uh, musical chair metaphor, Jill. The good news is the buyers are out there in this big game of musical chairs. The bad news is there aren't enough chairs. So I guess there's the buyers and the chairs are houses. Uh, and that's, I haven't played that game in a very long time. I feel like it was like <laughs> second grade since I last played musical chairs. But I feel like I described that accurately. You did. It is a fun game, but like buying a house, it is very stressful when you see that there's only a couple of chairs left <laughs> and a lot of kids are running around. Anyway, back to the survey data, which again shows the majority of Americans say it's a bad time to buy a house. Uh, the belief among Americans, more than half now believe that home prices will rise in their area. 
A quarter say that prices will stay the same. And about 20% of Americans actually believe prices will fall. So let's go with those 20%. I'm hopeful like the rest of you that maybe prices will come down a little bit, especially with uh, the 30-year mortgage remaining as high as it is. All right, from Axios, more evidence that it's getting hot in here. And by here, I mean on Earth. (laughs) Nellie made the call early, Jill. The record early season heat wave is enveloping the Pacific Northwest. Nearly 11 million people in that area have been under heat advisories in the past couple of days, where the early season heat wave that started Friday has seen temperature records broken from Washington and Oregon to Alberta, where Canadian firefighters have been tackling dozens of wildfires for days. Meanwhile, beyond the Pacific Northwest, Yosemite National Park announced three campgrounds would be temporarily closed uh, on Monday because of flooding from the melting of the Sierra Nevada's historic snowpack. Remember that. Yeah, a lot of extreme weather out there out west. As you mentioned, Jill, uh, this heat wave in May, uh, surprising. We have been seeing this more recently in August. But given what they're seeing in May, this does have uh, folks out there concerned about what they may see later this summer. The Seattle region saw daily temperatures set or tie records in a number of areas Uh, several broke the record by more than 10 degrees. Uh, Typically, you'll see a heat record broken by a degree or two. The fact that uh, they saw 90 degree temps and that is more than 10 degrees over a previous record uh, is significant here. Portland last week recorded its hottest ever daily temperature of 93 degrees on Saturday, uh, 92 on Sunday, according to preliminary data. The issue up there, as many of you know, in the Pacific Northwest, not everyone has air conditioning because you never really needed it. But as the climate has shifted here and you're seeing these heat waves, there is uh, an increasing demand for AC in areas where they never really required it. Uh, Numerous studies show that climate change is leading to these more intense heat waves. What you may have seen once every few decades or even once in a century is now happening every couple of years. Or in the case of the Pacific Northwest now, it feels like every year for the past few. From the Washington Post, don't use sugar substitutes to lose weight, according to the World Health Organization. The WHO says that besides not helping with the long-term reduction of body fat, non-sugar sweeteners may, with long-term use, increase the risk of type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and early death. Common non-sugar sweeteners named by the World Health Organization include aspartame, saccharin, sucralose, and stevia, which I was surprised to hear. The agency had already put out a recommendation to cut down on regular sugar, but now they're warning as well that the artificial stuff, not good for you either. Yeah, you can't... You can't win, Moshe. (laughs) You can't win, Jill. You can't have your cake and eat it too, regardless of whether it's made with sugar or stevia, apparently. Not surprisingly, a group called the Calorie Control Council, (laughs) Jill, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they are the organization that reps low-calorie food producers, so they represent the Splendas of the world and um, all the diet foods. Well, not surprisingly, they are not happy with the World Health Organization. They put out a statement saying they strongly disagree with it and that non-sugar sweeteners are very safe for everybody. They claim that low and no-calorie sweeteners have been proven to help with weight management, promote oral health, and help cut back on sugar and calorie intake. 
they also want to note that this WHO recommendation applies to all people except individuals mm-hmm. with pre-existing diabetes who may still benefit from sugar substitutes. Uh, keep in mind, there have been a lot of studies about this. Scientists used to think that these alternative sweeteners were largely inert and their main benefit was to cut calories from your diet. But there's some more recent research that suggests that these fake sugars can have a bad effect on your health. One study actually found that these sugar substitutes cause changes in both the function and composition of your gut microbiome, literally what's happening inside your stomach. That's the bacteria, the viruses, uh, the fungi that live in your intestines, and that these alternate sugars manipulate those. Again, the Calorie Control Council, Jill, disagrees and says, keep on keeping on with your alternate sugars. All right, from USA Today, why is every place asking for tips? iPads stationed in spots ranging from coffee shops to airport kiosks are automatically prompting shoppers to leave a service charge, and that is leading to tipping fatigue. But despite the complaints, Americans are tipping more than they have in the past. Square, which provides many of the point-of-sale iPads that customers are connecting with, well, they say that total tips paid at restaurants at the end of last year rose about 16% compared to the previous year. Data from the restaurant management software company Toast found that diners were still tipping between 15 and 20%. And almost 20% of Americans are giving tips for a broader array of services. And roughly half say that they have left a gratuity when they typically wouldn't have because that darn iPad prompted them to. Yeah, there are a lot of etiquette questions about this, especially, Jill, if you go to a coffee shop and you might buy a bottle of water, right? I'm not tipping. I'm sorry, I'm not. You're not, yeah, Uh, right. But if the barista has to like make you a latte, double pump, double whatever, (laughs) the way you guys order stuff these days. um, You guys, I don't do that. But yes, agree. No, no, you guys, I'm talking about some of our listeners. (laughs) I just order a coffee black with, you know, a little bit of milk. Like I, I try to keep it relatively simple. It's interesting, Jill, that, you know, we've seen this proliferation and the impact that it's had on everybody. Uh, It does come while we've been talking about inflation, right? Higher prices have led a number of Americans to tip less. Uh, There was a November survey from a restaurant tech company that found that 43% of those surveyed tipped servers 20% or more in 2022, but that was down from 56% of people who tipped 20% or more in 2021. So there has been a uh, downtrend in how much people are tipping, some of that attributed to inflation, and some of that maybe this tip fatigue that you just feel like you are obligated to tip everywhere you go. Jill, this really is just the modern day equivalent of the tip jar. But you, do you ever have that guilty feeling when, again, you buy that bottle of water uh, at the shop and you uh, click no tip and the person, the cashier is like looking at you and you're like, oh, do you hate me now? <laughs> I just like I didn't feel like that was worthy of a tip. But I do consider myself a pretty good tipper. I always like to tip above 20 percent regardless of where I'm at. But some of this stuff has gotten a little a little absurd, don't you think? I do, but I, I do feel a sh- sense of shame when I hit that no tip on the iPad. Yeah. And I'm just like, I hope nobody sees me. Right. Let's hope they're not, we're not making, eye- well, I definitely don't do it when making. I'm making eye contact. <laughs> no. Like I'm looking down <laughs> and then looking away. All right, now time for On This Day in History. We'll begin in 1792 to a place that Jill knows very well. On this day, May 17th, 1792, 24 businessmen 
uh, took the steps to form the New York Stock Exchange down on Wall Street in New York City. And in case anybody's wondering why I am so familiar with the stock exchange, I worked down there for about four years. I was the Money Watch reporter for CBS. I used to get down there. I was pretty much the first one, me and the security guards at, at 3 a.m. Actually, you, you got there so early, it was dark and early when you were <laughs> reporting down there from the stock exchange. All right, let's fast forward to the 20th century. On this day in 1954, the Supreme Court unanimously ruled in the Brown versus Board of Education case. That is the case that overturned racial segregation in public schools, declared it unconstitutional. It uh, overturned the policy of separate but equal. That had been in place for years. It effectively upheld Jim Crow laws. That was the policy here for decades in the U.S. that allowed uh, public facilities, uh, services, schools to have white sections and non-white sections. Uh, Of course, in 1954, the Supreme Court would finally rule that separate but equal is not, in fact, equal. Uh, Jill, there was a very young lawyer at the time named Thurgood Marshall, who represented the plaintiffs in that case, uh, who was able to win. And then just a little over a decade later, he was appointed to the Supreme Court himself. In other big legal news, in 2004, Massachusetts became the first U.S. state uh, to legalize same-sex marriage. They began issuing same-sex marriage licenses on this day in 2004. It would be 11 years later in 2015 when the Supreme Court would rule on Obergefell and make it legal nationally. All right, a bit of sports TV history for everybody. On this day in 1939, the first ever televised sporting event aired here in the U.S. And what was it? None other than a collegiate baseball game between Princeton and Columbia. Jill, I think that was the last time an Ivy League sports event was so highly anticipated on TV. And finally, everyone, we're going to end here with a bit of music history, at least music history that I think is important to Gen Xers and the elder millennials that listen to this podcast. Jill, do you remember this iconic 1990s hit? You say I only hear what I want to. I don't listen hard. I sure do, Mosh, because Lisa Loeb, like myself, we peaked in the 90s. <laughs> Jill, you couldn't go many places in 1994 without hearing uh, that Lisa Loeb song that is Stay. It was the hit song associated with Reality Bites, a film that sort of captured the angst of the uh, young Gen Xers of that era. Interesting backstory here. Lisa Loeb was discovered by her friend Ethan Hawke, who happened to live in an apartment across the street from her in New York City at the time. He heard her performing this music locally. He then gave a tape, yes, cassette tapes back then, of Lisa Loeb's song to Ben Stiller, who was directing Reality Bites. Stiller heard the song, said, this is pretty good. We should use it in the film. And then, of course, when Reality Bites comes out and the people hear that soundtrack, it really ends up exploding on the radio. Mosh, that is very interesting. Jill, yesterday was the history of the nickel. Today, Lisa Loeb (laughs) and how she got discovered by Ethan Hawke. (laughs) It pays to have famous friends, I guess. And Jill, I think it pays to support your friends. You know, he had a friend in Lisa who was performing locally in New York and was like, let's give her a shot. Let's see if we can get her song into a big uh, Hollywood film. (laughs) I was going to say, like, that's why I'm sticking with you. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Am I the Ethan Hawke? Yes, yes. Jill, just put your best stuff on a cassette tape and I'll distribute <laughs> it to whoever can listen to it. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you do not miss an episode. Review us in the App Store. 
so we can continue to grow. And thanks to all of you who are joining Mo News Premium. You can check that out over at mo.news slash premium. Allows you to have access to extra podcasts on a members-only podcast feed and a members-only Instagram account. Again, that is Mo News Premium, where you will become a member of the Mo News team. Uh, Join the throngs that are joining it right now. It's an opportunity to support what we're doing here and allow us to continue to grow what we're doing here at Mo News. Again, mo.news slash premium. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.